Good morning and thank you for listening to another episode of the Culture Shock Podcast. I'm your host Dave and not only am I wishing you a good morning, but a happy Valentine's Day as well. And in the spirit of Valentine's Day, I have a wonderful guest today, Amy, aka Miss Polly Vu, who is here as an experienced practitioner of ethical non-monogamy. Talk about some of her experiences within the polyamorous community, uh, how she came to ethical non-monogamy, the things that she's learned, both the mistakes and the successes. I want to thank Amy very much because it's so rare that we hear active perspective from different relationship dynamics. So often what we see in media and what we've grown up with is a very stringent binary model by which relationships should be held and kept. And our definitions of loyalty, devotion, and love are very much kept within a a very limited box. And so to hear someone who has been practicing a different form of relationship, of a different form of devotion, a different form of expressing oneself's love, I found was very enlightening and I also share very um, personal aspects of my shortcomings uh, and going-ons when I have been in non-traditional relationship dynamics and I have to be honest, some of sharing some of those things is difficult but I thought within the context of the conversation that we were having, it was important for me to share some of my own personal history as well so that you at home listening can have a rounder, more um, in-depth understanding of some of the conversational points that we are having. So I want to thank you all for listening. I hope wherever you are, you are with your loved ones or with yourself whom you love above all others. Whether your relationship dynamic is with one other partner or with yourself or with many partners or with no partners, I want to wish everyone a very happy Valentine's Day. And without further ado, my guest today, Amy, a.k.a. Miss Polly Vu. So we know each other from uh, the old Cloak and Dagger Club. Yes, which we do. For those who live in Los Angeles or maybe just sort of follow online was for a brief period in time, all too brief, yes. a really a really amazing experience. Uh, it was more than a nightclub. It, it very much was sort of a, a place where people could commune. And uh, various creative types were sort of brought together for this one night a week where friendships and bonds and interactions were formed that I I haven't really experienced in a long time. And certainly not in in a a more public sphere like Cloak was. Yeah, nor have I. It was something really special. And I met a lot of amazing people. Agreed. Present company. Oh, thank you. You as well. You as well. <laughs> thank you. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to talk was that uh, and there's a couple, there's number one, one of the things I love right on your Instagram profile is that you're not a coach. Yeah. You are just someone who is sharing your experience. Yeah, exactly. And, and I've held for a really long time that are the discussions around relationships and relationship dynamics and, and partnerships is is woefully under discussed in America in particular. Um, yeah, you know, most yeah, most people are raised with like you find a partner, you fall in love, you get into a relationship, it's monogamous, mm-hmm. and and then eventually you get married and, and that's it. It's like a very it's a very you know tra- straight trajectory for most folks as far as what they imagine a relationship can be. 
but you have a different perspective. Yeah. So we, we call that the relationship elevator. Mm. And um, it's discussed a lot in polyamory. Mm-hmm. I am a polyamorous woman. Um, I've been practicing non-monogamy for over 20 years now. Wow. I know I'm aging myself, but yeah. And um, I, it's funny, I first even thought about it when I was with my ex, um, wannabe movie producer. <laughs> he, he sat me down one day and said, you know, if this deal goes through, I don't know why I'm channeling Gene Hackman here. Uh, I like it though, because I'm imagining I'm imagining like an old studio exec from the twenties with like suspenders and a cigar. Which is not him at all. He's older, <laughs> but not that old. My God. Okay, let's not. Anyway, um, he's he had a conversation with me and he said, you know, if this deal goes through, I could be gone for months. Mm. And I would never expect a 21-year-old woman to remain celibate because I'm off at work. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, the deal never went through. In fact, no deals ever went through. (laughs) So we never really explored it more than just discussing the possibility of it. Mm -hmm. But then in my next relationship, I I met a swinger. Mm -hmm. And so I played the swinger game for a few years, which was really fun when I was in my 20s. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I got a little older and sort of realized it was too difficult to go to these events and connect with someone enough for my liking right. to want to have a sexual relationship with them. And I sort of consider myself a little bit demisexual, meaning a person who needs a connection to have sex with someone. Right. So I just discovered that sort of about myself as I got a little older and swinging no longer became like the thing I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of when I entered into polyamory and my now husband, nesting partner, um, told me early on in our relationship that he had an open marriage. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. And basically, since day one, we've just sort of been on the non-monogamous spectrum. And that was, I guess, 11 years ago. So I would say we've been full-on polyamorous for about five or six years. Mm -hmm. And it just works. Um, I don't know how many people listening have been in an 11-plus-year relationship. But, you know, things tend to cool down a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think, in my opinion, opinion, one of the greatest things in life is that feeling you get when you're really smitten with someone. Right. And the feeling you get when you see them and you get butterflies in your stomach. Mm -hmm. And to me, I didn't want to deprive myself of that. And I don't. Right. 
And it's just sort of this wonderful balance of having a stable relationship and being able to experience new relationship energy. Right, right. On inf- sort of a regular basis. I was going to say, you can infuse it on at your will whenever yeah. it, you connect with someone. Yeah, exactly. And just being able to explore connections with whoever I meet or having the freedom to explore connections with whoever I meet. And, you know, I was, I was not the only polyamorous person at Cloak by far. Yeah. <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah. a very open-minded club. Absolutely. Absolutely. But um, I am perhaps one of the more outspoken mm-hmm. um, people. I have a Instagram profile where I just kind of share my experiences and share some funny polyamory memes every now and then. But it's, it's the, you know, we're expected to, to ride this relationship elevator. Mm-hmm. And more and more people, I think, are discovering that there's other ways to live. And um, even though we're grossly underrepresented <laughs> in film and television, right? Uh, I still believe it's becoming more mainstream. Well, it's interesting, too, because uh, my, my first introduction to polyamory is I had a friend... Uh, I'll, I'll give his his shoot name because he goes by a stage name. So my friend Stephen, he uh, had been in a long term relationship about four years, uh, and at, when I met him, he had moved to Los Angeles, and his his partner had stayed back in Florida, and it fell apart. And he came out of that relationship feeling like monogamy was not for him, okay. and I'm not sure where he came across the term polyamory, but I, I he had. He definitely felt like the the confines, and he'd been previously married, the confines of a monogamous relationship strictly d- didn't work for him. And as I'm sure we'll touch about touch on, this wasn't a, a sexual thing per per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, he felt like his love could not be contained to one person. He wanted to be able to love lots of people. Um, and, and actually, sex took a back seat to that love and then wanted to share that love. And so uh, as being friends, he we would chat often about it. And at the time I was in uh, my first marriage and, you know, I went to a couple of classes that talked about polyamory and sex positivity and things of that nature with him as support. And, uh, at, and I bring this up because I, there's going to be several failings that sometimes people will wander into these waters on and I did them. So I'll just, mm. I'll throw myself under the bus. Uh-huh. Uh, my relationship was failing uh, for about, I mean, frankly, we were married four years and I think two of those were on the decline. And, and really, really, when I think about it in retrospect, the relationship started to decline right almost immediately after the marriage occurred mm-hmm. for various reasons, mostly just because I don't think we were on the same trajectory right. um, and, and I wasn't mature enough to have those discussions ahead of time. So towards the end of it, uh, we opened the marriage for about a year. Uh, a little, a little over a year, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. And my partner at the time, my first wife, was less sexually inclined than I was, and so I, in this agreement, which was her suggestion, I went out and had other partners to various to various successes and non successes in retrospect, mm-hmm. but. 
the even though it was her suggestion to open the marriage, the it wasn't built on a foundation of uh, it wasn't built on a stable foundation at all. It was it was a band aid to a problem, yeah. and it was really more because our sexual wavelengths were so different that. She felt it's almost like the story about your your producer ex, but in this instance, it wasn't because of a distance issue. It was just that she had very little drive and I had very high drive, and so it was it was presented like you go do what you need to do so that you're happy. Mm-hmm. But I think in as I as I look back at it, it was more like just go do what you need to do, so I don't have to deal with this anymore. Um, but then, of course, once I did, then there were fights. And there were there was hurt, and there was uh, breaking of trust, and then, and then, a handful of partners later, this is still not working, and and she goes on a trip separate from me because we started doing trips separate at this point, and she decides to explore this, and she lied about it, and then when she got home, she told me about it, and I got upset because for a period of two to three years now. I did not feel like she had given me the sexual attention that I was looking for and not just sexual. There was other stuff as well, but, and yet she found it elsewhere. So now I got upset, right? Cause I did the typical guy thing. Like it's okay for me, but not for you. Yeah. Um, and in the end, clearly the marriage ended and, and we went our separate ways. Um, but I bring all this up because I think sometimes, and I'm sure you come across this as well, people think that opening a marriage or a relationship or, uh, being polyamorous is just centered around, Oh, it's, it's all you can eat sex and it's all good and it's all fine. And there's no work to it. It's just, we're all, we made this decision. Now it's all good. And that could not be further from the truth. It's very difficult in some regards. Oh yeah. It's not the easy path um, that people think it might be. And it's not a band aid. And it's, you know, I follow so many different, um, voices in the polyamory community. And one of the the things that I think we all try to tell people who are new is this is not going to fix a relationship that is not solid. Mm -hmm. Um, It just won't. It's going to bring up all of your triggers. It's going to bring up you know, all of the things that hurt you as a kid, <laughs> it's, it's like just psychology thrown at you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's funny that you say that my, my husband actually opened up his marriage because she didn't want to have sex anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it worked out for him. You know, I think that there was some animosity and there just wasn't a strong enough foundation. So it didn't work out. Right. Um, I'm sorry that happened. It It's so common though. Right. It's so very common. And it's kind of funny. I've heard a lot of people kind of have the opposite um, problem, whereas the woman will get a lot of action. um just because you know that's kind of typical and then you know the guy realizes oh i have to work a lot harder i have to go on a lot more dates i have to go through a lot more messages and um i think it's really typical for guys to get frustrated Mm -hmm. 
um, by how much harder it is to to get a date with the girl. <laughs> well, absolutely, um, because it's not just, I mean, the dating is hard in general. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you live in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but then this lifestyle is not for everyone. And I think that um, for men, I mean, how many times have we heard, oh, yeah, I'm polyamorous. Oh, yeah, I'm open marriage. Oh, you know, that's like a people, I think, sometimes have a defense from that because it just sounds like another guy bullshitting, you know, and they may not know the di- the actual dynamics of the relationship. They may just think it's someone trying to step out or yeah. or whatever. So I would as I would imagine that for women who are being or who are hearing this, and I, I say this because I've had friends tell me this and I've seen memes that make fun of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that like even if you might have been interested in this person and this man if he was completely unattached and single yeah. by virtue of this lifestyle it makes it even that much less uh enticing for some people yes very very true um i mean i have a hard time finding guys who want to date me mm-hmm. um just because i'm already living with someone right. um it's difficult. And I imagine it's even that more difficult for guys, but you seem to have had an opposite um, experience, which I mean, yeah, I, I did not have trouble finding partners that, that part Mm -hmm. was, uh, you know, I'm not trying to humble brag or anything, but that part came easily. Uh What was hard which seems counterintuitive. It sounds like someone's listening is going to be like, oh, this guy's, you know, he's he's married and he's getting laid on the side. This is awesome. No, it wasn't though. Uh, because in the end, what I really wanted, what I was really trying to get, and again, this is only the kind of thing that you come to realize with, you know, in hindsight, mm-hmm. is I wanted my partner to value and desire me. Yeah. And, and no matter how many partners I had uh, outside of the confines of the marriage, that, that desire wasn't coming. Mm-hmm. I still wasn't receiving it. And and after a while, I actually started to become bitter because I felt like I was just being dismissed. Like, just go get laid somewhere else. I don't want to deal with you. That's the, that's how I felt. Sure. So it on paper, it sounds like this amazing experience. And it, and it might have been under different circumstances. But right. under these circumstances, it just kind of made me feel bad about myself. Yeah. It, it, it made me f- – and also, these weren't relationships I was forming because – we hadn't because the foundation wasn't strong. I wasn't really dating other people, and, and you know, simultaneously, I was having sex with people, you know, while being in a marriage. And while that was able to be achieved, in the end, it did not make me. It wasn't satisfying what I really wanted, which was to be loved. I wanted to be loved by a partner. I wanted to be desired by a partner. I wanted someone to look at me and say, "I want you. Yeah. You are enough." And I wasn't getting that. I wasn't feeling that at home. And there's other reasons why not, not strictly between her and I, she had things going on in her own life and then with her family. So I don't want to paint her as the bad person because she's not. Um, But in the end, the feeling that I felt was I'm not loved at home. And these are just kind of empty relationships that even if they could go somewhere, they can't because you know, my ex wanted to keep this sort of a don't ask, don't tell policy, oh, yeah. which Terrible. I think is not a good idea. No, with every book on polyamory, polyamory sort of says, don't do. I mean, I guess it's successful in like 1% of the people, but most people can't handle don't ask, don't tell policy. And 
you know, my husband and I went through every mistake in the book. Mm-hmm. We did don't ask, don't tell for a while. And it's, it's not better not knowing. <laughs> oh. it's, it's really not because your mind makes things so much worse yeah. than they are in actuality. And it just sounds like, you know, it was the wrong relationship to open up. You, right. you didn't have a great relationship to begin with. And anytime I sort of toss around the idea of dating someone who's got another partner, mm-hmm. I make sure I find out how their relationship is doing before I continue. Right. I want to make sure it's solid and I try and see how they treat their partner mm-hmm. as well. Um, mostly these days I'm just dating like muggles um, <laughs> <laughs> or, or people who don't identify as polyamorous, but that's just because the dating pool in Palm Springs is a lot smaller. Sure. Um, but when I did date other polyamorous people, I would definitely get the 911 on their other relationships before I would consider dating them. It's it really makes, important. Yeah, it makes sense. And one thing that I learned uh, just in general was I uh, I started, especially after my, my first marriage, I started to pay more attention to the family dynamics of my potential partners, like not only uh, how they interacted with their family, but the dynamic of their family. Because we learn so much from our parents. We learn so much from our older siblings if we have them. And um, the relationships that we have with others will is usually a good indicator of the kind of way we'll maintain our relationships with a partner. Uh, so the way we, the closeness of that we have to our friends, how deep is it? Is it superficial? Are you just going to the bar or is it meaningful? Do you have friends for decades? It, are, are your parents happy? Do they have a loving relationship? Or is there some other d- way that you've, you witnessed a healthy relationship? Mm-hmm. Those things can matter because what I've learned is that when you get into a relationship with a partner, you tend to emulate what you watched and witnessed growing up. And, and I would imagine for you in the same regard, and, and maybe more obviously, if they're in another relationship, then you can absolutely see how they treat that partner and get a good indicator as to how they may or may not behave in a dynamic with you. Exactly. Exactly. It's um, really important to, to see how they treat other people. I have ended things earlier than I wanted to, because I was just getting a feeling of, I don't know, disrespect. Mm. Um, And I'm out, you know, I don't, I don't need that. Right. So I'm really particular um, when I date people who are polyamorous, but I'm particular any, anyway. Sure. Um, <laughs> I, if you're monogamous and I'm dating you, then I have to make sure you're okay with my polyamory. Sometimes mm-hmm. they are and sometimes they're not. So, um, yeah. Well, so like what are some of the common pitfalls that mm-hmm. you've come across? Because right off the bat, the one thing that I have either observed and, and also experienced was that more often than not, and we kind of alluded to this earlier, men will broach the idea, but they don't really want their partners to have success in it. Yeah. Like 
you know, it's always the famous line about threesomes. Like I'm, I'm happy to have another woman come in the bedroom, but not another man. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, are those things that you come across often? Uh, what are some of the other sort of just general, when you meet someone for the first time, for anyone who's listening, who might want to explore this, what can they expect? Because I think going into it with eyes wide open is probably the best approach. Yeah. There, you know, there are people who get into polyamory with like the one penis policy (laughs) um, is what we call it. And it's basically in my experience means the guy has free reign but the mm-hmm. girl can't sleep with another guy. Mm-hmm. It's just ripe with toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. And everyone in the polyam world really hates that. Mm-hmm. Another thing we really hate is unicorn chasing. Mm. And that kind of goes in a little bit with the one penis policy. But um, a couple looking for a third person for them to be their boyfriend or girlfriend. And Uh, and the reason that is troublesome is because you already have a relationship dynamic. So the third person is already starting off at a lower level. Right. They don't have the history. They don't, you know, they don't have a lot of the things. Maybe you live together. They don't live with you. Um, It's problematic. And um, I honestly won't date couples. Hmm. I, I just don't do it. Um, not my, not my jive. It's also really hard for three people to be equally attracted to each other. Right. That's difficult. Um, so I, I shy away from unicorn hunters. Um, other pitfalls, I don't know, just people not doing any shadow work, Hmm. any inner work at all tend to not do great in polyamory. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not willing to sort of face, you know, your your childhood demons and stuff, yeah. they, they come out in relationships. Yes. So, you know, you're looking at like family dynamics. Something that I might be looking at even more is, have you been in therapy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you done any work? You know, what kind of emotional baggage are you carrying around? Um, That's something that I look for. Right. Because I feel like carrying on multiple relationships brings it out a lot. Right. Um, Because you you really are testing your boundaries of trust and uh, feeling worthwhile. And, mm -hmm. you know, if if dating one person is difficult, now you've just doubled that. And. And absolutely, the, whatever you're carrying, which, by the way, when do we ever really talk about, you know, be it polyamory or monogamous, like, when do we talk about, like, these are some things that I am working through? Yeah. We don't have those conversations, really. No. And no. not when we need to, anyway. Yeah. I I do, just because I'm all about it. Right. I'm all about working on yourself and emotional intelligence, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been in therapy for probably 20 years now. Um, and I've done a lot of work mm-hmm. and I, I want to be with someone who's done the work as well. Um, I don't always find those people <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't even come out until we break up. Right. But, um, 
which is another thing that you have to be aware of in polyamory, is uh, breaking up. It's going to happen a bit more often. Right. And um, I think over the years, I tried to perfect my breakup technique. Mm-hmm. But um, unfortunately, some people just don't handle breakups well. Right. So you got to be, I don't know, kind of aware and, and brace yourself for, for breakups that come with being polyamorous. Um, I've had two this year. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, because again, yeah. it's, it's, you're, you're just, you've doubled the, I mean, you've doubled the opportunity or tripled the opportunity, whatever it may be, to find love or to find a connection or to find a relationship. Mm-hmm. But with that means you've doubled up the possibility of heartache. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah, from an from an outsider's perspective and with my limited experience, it, it, it when I've seen polyamory work, the people who practice it are very mature in some regards, in most regards, and they're very thoughtful with how they speak and how they maintain the the emotions between both partners. It, it's yeah. it's in the forefront of their mind, uh, and and maybe that just comes with the experience of making all the wrong decisions. Mm-hmm. Maybe that comes because it seems like, and I may again, I might be wrong on this, but it does feel like when the more successful polyamorous couples or relationships are older and gone past the twenties, perhaps thirties, maybe even. Uh, but it, but it seems like it's, it's, it requires more. I mean, I say it requires more, but frankly, all relationships should require this much. Yep. Yep. But, but we, but, but we often don't think about that. We just, you know, again, cause we're just on the, the escalator, but when you're balancing different personalities, potentially different egos, potentially your, your own time constraints. Uh, it, it would necessitate that higher level of thinking and concern and emotional understanding to maintain it even for a short period of time, much less, you know, for you being non-monogamous for like 20 years. Yeah, exactly. Which is why, emotional intelligence is something I'm, I'm absolutely looking for mm-hmm. in a prospective mate. Um, yeah, that's probably number one on, yeah. on my list. And um, sometimes, you know, in the beginning of a relationship, you're seeing them on their best behavior, mm-hmm. right? For a few months anyway, you can kind sure. of, you know, you, you can kind of hold the farts in, if, <laughs> so to speak, right. for a while. But after a while, things start to slip. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that like four to six month period is where maybe really start to get to know the person a little bit. Right. And kind of figure out how emotionally mature they are and all that stuff. But, um... I, I try to look for that right. in the beginning and I'd like to say I've been successful, but after the last two, I don't know. <laughs> well, I always look at it this way. A, a relationship ending does not mean it was uh, not a success. That's 
true. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think, I think that we, you, you made a post that I really liked. It was something to the effect of you don't really need anyone else. Like yeah. there's no one partner that you need in your life. You might want them in your life. You might desire them in your life. You might really, really strongly uh, feel compelled to have them in your life, mm-hmm. but you don't need them in your life. You only need you in your life, which is frankly all we're guaranteed anyway. Absolutely. So, so whether or not a relationship ends because you came to a disagreement or whether it ends because someone passes away or any, any number of reasons in between, I, I think that as a society, we need to move away from this idea that because something had an expiration date, that it was a waste of time. I've heard this many times, yeah. but, but like think of, um, think of if a pet passes or a friend or anything that comes to an end. Do, do we think about that as a waste of time? Like, no, we would never do that. That would be, that would be callous. And so, uh, you know, whether a relationship lasts six months or six weeks or six days, if it was a, if there was value in the, in that time period, then it was a success. For sure. And does it probably help it not hurt when it ends, but at least, at least we can contextualize it as this was great for the six days that it lasted or the six months that lasted or the six years that lasted, whatever it may be. In that time period, it was maybe what I needed and it was wonderful. And I'll choose to focus on that and not the end. Because I I have a friend of mine long ago who said, I think he was quoting something else, but all things end, you know, all All things things, must pass. Yeah. All things must pass. And so, and so that's okay. There's nothing wrong with things being finite because they all are. So I might as well accept it. For sure. Um, The last one that ended actually began because I was very, I was, I was grieving Mm. the death of my mother Mm. and this person helped me not dwell in it, not Mm -hmm. really think about it for a while, you know, Mm -hmm. got me through some really terrible times just because he got me out of the house and took me to exciting places and it was really what I needed Mm -hmm. to get through that terrible time. Mm -hmm. But then I just sort of, you know, like four months later sort of started to see the signs of incompatibility. Right. And, um, but I, I'm so thankful that I had this person in my life when I did when I really needed it. And even though we could not remain friends, um, it was a beautiful relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. because sometimes they serve, whether you want to believe the universe has provided them for you or happenstance, there is, there is sometimes people that come into our lives that serve the purpose that they're meant to serve. Exactly. And when that time ends, then it's okay to let that go. Yeah. You know, I I have, as I look back in my dating history, and I cringe at all the terrible decisions I've made. <laughs> I also, oh, I've made plenty of them. Um, <laughs> I I value each one of them and the role that they served in my life. Mm-hmm. I could not have, I could not be where I am now if not for, all of those experiences before between my, the ending of my first marriage, um, 
I was very single in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I, again, in, in retrospect, was very hurt. But of course, I was doing the typical guy thing. I was like, I'll sleep my way out of the pain. <laughs> doesn't work. Uh, and and then uh, after a few months of that, I dated a girl, lady, woman. And um, she, I her. Want, she, her, yeah, I think, I guess. Yeah, probably. I, I, I wanted to commit, right? I wanted to go beyond the what are we stage and define it yeah and did, yeah and she did not and oh. that was and that was okay i was i'm okay with that mm-hmm. but what i needed to know was i needed to know what the dynamic was i didn't really care about the label we don't need to be boyfriend or girlfriend i mean i'm nearly 41 now so I, i'm beyond those labels but i do need to know what our dynamic is mm-hmm. because what i'm not what i would not have been comfortable with would have been to be at home waiting for her call if she was dating other people. Because if she's dating other people, I'm also going to date other people. Yeah. If I want, right? I want to know what, you know, and and, I, and conversely, I want to know that if I decide to date other people, that, that she's not expecting this unspoken monogamy, right? That's all I wanted to know. Mm-hmm. And we weren't able to come to that discussion. And there was other aspects. She, because of her career, she wanted to always appear single like oh. as part of her image which yeah. I didn't like I didn't like being like you know the the the, the Sancho as they say I didn't like, I didn't, yeah I, I, I you know if either we're dating or we're not dating or whatever and fine I don't care if you put me in your Instagram post but <laughs> I like I, I like to know what we're where we're standing on like what ground are we standing on okay. we couldn't come to that that resolve and it ended um and not in the way that I wanted, because this was the first time in all those months that I had really genuinely started to feel like I was ready to be in a relationship, not just have casual sex or, uh, you know, not get serious. I'm doing air quotes for audio, but not get serious, you know? Yeah. And it hurt, it hurt a lot. But, but if I had not gone through that, and, and again, this isn't a humble brag, like I've only really felt like someone ended a relationship with me twice in my life. It's almost always me who ends it if, if it ends. Um, And so the ego takes a hit and it's painful. And when you're already coming out of this marriage where you didn't feel desired, it's like, Oh, here it is again. Yeah. You know, but yeah, it's brutal. It sucks. It sucks. It spins you into depression. But I learned so much from that. And we only dated for like a month. But I learned so much from that. I, I came to realize, and I've spoken about this on the podcast before, that I I don't want to say I suffer from it. I have dealt with hypersexuality for most of my life. And I now and I I realize where that originated from uh, in my in my early life. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that it's not just me having a high libido, that there's more to that. And I started to recognize that. And I started to recognize that I was I was uh, trying to justify my existence. My value was placed on sexual prowess. So if I could pleasure a partner, if I had multiple partners, if I had a new partner every week, I felt great about myself. Mm-hmm. And if I was rejected... And if I was, uh, my partner didn't want to have sex at the same frequency I did, um, I felt terrible about myself. And I started, and just from this one little moment, like late in my life, 
I started to have all these revelations about my my relationship with relationships, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So so I try to look at every relationship in that regard. Now, especially like, what did I learn from this? What did I learn about myself from this? What can I look back out on it and and learn? You know, six months later, now that I have now that I'm out of the woods, and I can look at it from afar. What can I take from this? And then apply it not only to my, you know, next relationships, but myself. Yeah. And that, my friend, is emotional intelligence. <laughs> and I love it. It's That's, great. I mean, it's only taken 40 years, roughly, but. Eh, there's still, I, I know 50 year olds who are just, I don't know, hopeless, I would say. But no, it's, it takes a definite emotional maturity to sort of come to that revelation and if you don't mind me asking mm-hmm. what was the theme that you learned from that that girl that in-between girl like what if you had to put a moral on it like what what's the moral of the story I think the moral of that for me very much was that I was fantasizing I was fetishizing her Mm-hmm. In a lot of regards, she was different than the type of person I would normally date. I don't typically date actresses, okay, uh, or musicians. Well, I mean, people who are in front, yeah. people who are I- image oriented. I guess is the best way to say it. I don't typically date them, and I, I'm a film producer. But for me, um, I'm a t-shirt and jeans guy, yeah. and I, uh, of course, I think every woman's beautiful. Or, but I. And it's not a it's it's really not an ego thing. And I don't care if someone is uh, more popular than me or what have you. But I just I there's a reason why I'm a producer, not an actor. Yeah. I don't want to focus on the visual as a as a method by which I make money. And it's not a dynamic that's going to work well for me. Okay. I also don't want to be a secret. Sure. You know, yeah. that, I think that was the thing That's that really valid. bugged me. You know, if we're just, if we're just having sex, fine. I don't care. I can be whatever you want. But if we're, if there starts to become an emotional boundary or emotional connection, rather, um, if we're introducing any sort of like power dynamic into our relationship, I a hundred percent do not want to be in the corner, in the shadows. Who's that guy? Oh, that's my friend. I got, I want that. You know, I want to be open about what we're doing, at least internally and frankly, publicly. Right. Absolutely. Uh, how annoying is it to post a photo of going to a wine garden and and they don't want you to be they don't want to be tagged? Like that, <laughs> yeah. that's not a good feeling, and it builds distrust, yeah. which is the also what I experienced when my first wife was like, "Oh, we're gonna do a, a don't ask, don't tell thing." Mm. It it makes me feel like I'm sneaking around. Yeah. It makes me uh, I am right. Yeah, like. Basically. like like, I can't just go to the movies with this yeah. new person I've met. I've got to like, oh, I'm going to go do this thing. Like, you force me into a lie. Yeah. You know, to spend time with them. And um, so I guess the big, yeah, the big takeaway was that I'm I'm a very straightforward person. Mm-hmm. I am a very simple, I, I'm a Hemingway guy, right? Mm-hmm. I like straight to the point. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't like the games and I don't like the subterfuge and I don't like all the image crafting. I just don't have the tolerance for it. 
And so I don't, that wasn't a, that wasn't a good dynamic for me. You Understood. Know? She couldn't mm-hmm. define the relationship at all or the boundaries and it felt uncomfortable to you. Very much so. Yes. That makes sense. I yes. feel like one of my early relationships after huh, I, accepting the label of polyamorous, mm-hmm. I, would say, um, I wasn't. And I guess a few since I wasn't really aware of my couple's privilege, Hmm. if that makes sense. So there would be these things where I would say to my boyfriend, oh, we can't go there. That's where me and my husband go. Hmm. Little, little things, not huge things, but little things that I just didn't, wasn't aware of. Right. I wasn't aware of my couple's privilege. I wasn't aware of how it might make my boyfriend feel. Mm-hmm. Um, just sort of talk, I don't know, limiting the things that we could do because I did them with my husband. Right. You know, like. Well, it, it feels like it would almost form, you know, consciously or unconsciously an emotional caste system. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's one of the struggles people in the polyamorous world who are either married or, mm-hmm. or just nesting partners. Um, we, we have to deal with that. We have to figure out how to fit these other people in our lives when we live with someone else. Mm-hmm. And it's a battle and I, I fail. I know I fail. I still fail to this day, mm-hmm. but I'm trying, I'm trying to recognize it. I'm trying to be better about it. I'm trying to be open with how much I can provide Mm -hmm. in a a relationship. Mm -hmm. I could probably hang out with someone three nights a week. Right. There's a lot of people out there who have to think that's perfect. That's how much (laughs) I want to hang out with someone. Right. You know, people who value their freedom. Um, But not in Palm Springs. (laughs) (laughs) Or if there are, they're gay. Mm-hmm. Is it Palm Springs? But um, yeah, it. I, I, you. It's very valid to feel that way and not really feel secure mm-hmm. if you couldn't even have a discussion about what you were. Right. Yeah. Well, not only that, I. Um, I think again, without spilling too much of the tea, like we, she really wanted, well, we both did, but she sort of initiated this idea of like a power dynamic within our relationship. Oh. And, uh, and I was open to this and I'd had experience with this. I'd, I'd probably had more experience than this than her, but, um, and maybe because I had more of the experience, I, I feel like I'm skirting around the issue. We're talking about kink. Right. Yeah. And, and so like in a BDSM relationship, there's that just like I would imagine in polyamory, there is like that added level of communication that has to occur. Mm-hmm. It's not just a, a, a playful spank and a, maybe we wear an O ring collar and whatever else. Like there is more to it. And uh, so again, if you're going to start introducing these things in, you can't, you really have to be the most clear communicators that you possibly can be yeah. because there's a lot there that you're, that you're taking on it's not just fun sex sorry to ruin it for everyone it's it is more than that and um 
And so, yeah, so I, I think that, you know, a big come away from all of this is that communication is so important. And I, I know that it gets the term communication is key. gets kind of frivolously thrown around, but it's dead on. Yeah. And in these situations, for sure, I realized early on that my communication skills needed a polish. Mm. Um, and I specifically worked on that with my therapist for a few months mm-hmm. and I'm far better at it than I was, you know, five years ago. So right. as my husband and, um, you know, every book says it, you have to talk, you mm-hmm. have to have these talks. And if you don't have these talks, you're going to do what me and my husband and I did in the early days, which was make every single mistake, mm-hmm. literally all of them we have made. Um, but I guess, you know, we were strong enough that we got through it all. Mm-hmm. We're still kicking it today. There's a, there's a book that I just finished called the four agreements oh. and it's very much, it's sort of rooted in Mexican uh, indigenous magic, at least the baseline philosophy behind it. And what it argues is that as w- when we are born, we accept certain agreements. We make an agreement with our parents not to touch the hot stove. We make an agreement with our teachers to do our homework and whatever it may be, right? We make an agreement with the government to believe that it's there's loyalty is earned. And so we make thousands, if not millions of agreements in our most formative years, which, when the reality of it is, is that no one, two, three, four, five, six, seven-year-old is of age of consent. Yeah. But we consent to all these beliefs. You know, he calls them agreements, but they're beliefs, right? Strongly held values and morals and beliefs that are imparted upon us at an okay. age when we're far, far too young. Religious to even, beliefs. Religious beliefs as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. And so, um, and so what he would argue is that most of these beliefs that we've agreed to, these agreements, don't actually serve us to be our natural self. He calls it domestication. Yeah. Now we're domestified. And and he says, if you want to see what a human looks like <clears throat> free, right? Look at a child. Look at a one-year-old or two-year-old. Mm-hmm. Look at how they smile. Look at how they share. Look at how they look at the world with wonder. Why does that go away? Why does that light dim? And he says, now ask that child to pretend to be a lawyer or whatever, an adult role, right? And he's like, immediately what you'll notice is that their face changes and that wonderment and that enchantment in their eyes dissipates. That smile turns into a stern look and their perception of an adult is one that is robbed of all that freedom. One of those agreements would probably be for most people monogamy, right? And what a traditional relationship looks like, traditional air quotes. And so his idea is that you have to you have to unagree to all these agreements as an adult of, of sound mind, of experience. You have to disregard these tethers and ties that you have that have been attached to you for all this time, and you need to form new ones. And he would argue that you really only need to form four solid core agreements, and then the rest will kind of take care of itself. The first one, and this speaks to what we were talking about about communication, was be impeccable with your word. 
that our words are magic spells, their power, their will, their energy, whatever you want to call it, they hold weight. And so when we speak, we should speak with uh, integrity, professionalism, and impeccably. We should know the weight of our words and we should treat them with the due respect that it deserves. No different than yielding a gun or a sword or whatever. Wouldn't just hopefully wouldn't just wave a gun around wildly, nor should you with your words. Yeah. Speak like truth. That. Yeah. Speak truth. Uh, the next one would be to uh, never take things personally. Hmm. That, that everyone else is, you know, if you get cut off on the freeway or, your partner doesn't wants to kind of keep you in the shadow so they can launch their acting career or whatever it may be. That is not a reflection of you. Mm-hmm. That's a reflection of them. So don't take it personally. Yeah. It's not about you really. It might affect you of course, but, but you have control over that. Uh, but it's not really about you. And then to add to that, the third one is don't judge others. Mm-hmm. You know, not only don't take it personally, but don't judge them. Love you it. know, everyone is working through their own, experiences and 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 the environments by which they grew up in and the in their current experiences and the current social economic situation and and relationship dynamics those all impact a person's uh, behaviors and beliefs and therefore take some extend some empathy towards them and don't judge sure. because we're all going through that as well and then and then the last one is the best one okay. do your best well, these are so good though yeah do your best <laughs> okay just do your best. Yeah. If you mess up, do better tomorrow. Do your best. Do the best you can. He's like, if you if you don't get good sleep and uh, you're tired, your best is probably not going to be as good as it would be if you had a full night's rest. But you know what? Do the best that you can within the confines of where you're at. And if you take those four things and then you apply them to relationships, it, to me it seems very evident that if we could implement them in a meaningful way on a daily basis that I would, I truly do believe no matter the dynamic of the relationship, it would improve the quality of it mm-hmm. just by being able to be honest, not, you know, not being hurt by whatever your partner's going through or partners are going through, um, not, not projecting your pain onto them or judging them or, and, and then also being kind to oneself, right? Yeah. Go a little easy on yourself. It's Okay you're going to make those mistakes. We've all made them, right? We've all made them in relationships. And I know we live in a world where like your past sins are sometimes depending on the, the peanut gallery unforgivable, but they are, they're, they're forgivable. Forgive yourself. Even if no one else does, because, because that's how we move forward and we improve upon our previous experiences and our previous relationships. And we can open the doors to more freedoms and more uh, variety of experiences. There's no one way to form a relationship or maintain a relationship. Relationship might start monogamous and end up polyamorous and vice versa or Mm -hmm. swingers or whatever. There's all kinds of different colors to the rainbow. So, So if we speak what our desires are with honesty and we have partner or partners who are open to receiving that, Mm-hmm. How much more happy could we be? How much more accepting could we be of different lifestyles? Yeah, I want to rewrite this book with the polyamory theme. You should. You should read. It's a very. It's actually written very simply. You said four uh, corners. Uh, the four agreements. The four agreements. Okay. Yeah, got you it. Could, 
and you can kind of tell that English isn't his first language. So some of the ways that he writes is kind of repetitive, but it it's uh, it's it, it will I find it to be very um, very profound. It is even in its simplicity. Sounds great. I'm gonna give it a read. Did you did you read any of like the classic polyamorous books like yeah, um, Sex at Dawn and The Ethical uh-huh. Slut and those are those tend to be the two most popular ones. Those are very popular. Um I have uh the the new one out that's pretty good. It's Polysecure. Hmm. I'm about a third of the way into that. It's great writing. Um yeah, I didn't pick up a book until I made all the mistakes. <laughs> so I, I should have done it way earlier, mm-hmm. um, but I did. And it, it helped me, even though, you know, I'm reading a chapter about how you shouldn't do don't ask, don't tell. And I'm like, Oh, oops. oops. <laughs> um, no, it had a lot of value to me. And when anyone asks me for like a lot of advice, I mm-hmm. kind of steer them to the books. I mean, people read books for everything. Don't you think this is worthy of at least one book? Right. Um, Because a lot of people like push back against book recommendations. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. More so than I would think. I Hmm. I love reading. I I eat it up. But um, yeah, I guess... Some people don't have enough time. Like if you don't have enough time to read a book, you're, you don't have enough time for polyamory. Yeah. <laughs> I've got news for you. Um, but yeah, my one of my biggest pieces of advice is pick up one of these four books I think I ramble off. Mm-hmm. Um, there's value here. There's, And of course, you know, you're not going to learn everything from a book, but you can learn techniques. Yeah. And I found some of the techniques that they taught to be really helpful, um, particularly when it came to jealousy. Hmm. Um, that's something you're going to encounter. People just think, oh, polyamorous people aren't jealous. They don't get jealous. Nothing right. could be further from the truth. Jealousy is sort of a blanket statement for something wrong. Mm-hmm something's wrong. And sometimes it is feeling less valued than someone else. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's an indicator that the relationship is wrong. And I just sort of learned through book after book that there's ways to get through it. You're going to experience it. And here's some ways that you can help yourself get through these feelings of jealousy. Um, so that's where I found a lot of help in, in books. And then well, honestly, just following polyamorous accounts on mm-hmm. Instagram or Twitter have been really helpful as well. Well, and, and I found that jealousy is, it's just fear more often than not. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, it's either the fear of not being worthy enough. It's the fear of being left alone. It's the fear of, I, I would, I would guarantee that one of the main things that especially young folks, I say young in terms of an experience, but getting into polyamory would be the fear that they're going to like someone else more than them, Yeah. that they're going to meet someone and they're going to get that new car feeling, yeah. right? That tingly feeling in, in their guts and they're going to be enamored and they're going to, maybe the sex is going to be better or maybe they have a better physical body or whatever it may be. 
mm-hmm. um, relative to social standards of beauty. And there's this fear that I'm not going to be good enough. And eventually they're just going to be with that person. And I've kind of opened the door for, for, you know, I've opened the door to the hen house with, for the Fox, so to speak. Right. Uh, my response to that is I think there's, you, you have just as much risk of that in monogamy as you do sure. non-monogamy, at least in non-monogamy, you can be free. You have the freedom from your partner to explore these things. Mm-hmm. To me, that makes me love my partner even more right. than him being like, no, you can't see anyone else. That to me, like putting boundaries on me as a Gemini just doesn't work. I have always valued my freedom over anything. Mm-hmm. And it's only natural that I would become polyamorous at some point. It's just who I am. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, I, I will honestly say people haven't broken up with me because I let them, be, you know, have their freedom. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that has never been a reason someone has broken up with me because I let them be free. I let them do what they wanted to do. So I honestly think it makes you love someone more having that freedom and having that trust. And that's just my take. Uh, I think there's value in that because for someone to feel strongly about the relationship enough to put their own, their own fears aside, their own ego aside, uh, and and truly love someone enough to allow them to experience whatever it is that they want to experience. It doesn't always have to be relationships. I mean, this can apply to, you know, if you if your partner wants to start a band and or yeah. wants to change careers or wants go to go on vacation alone, go yeah. on vacation alone. Yeah. People finding their their personal identity, you know, after having been in a relationship. Like yeah. these things are not strictly sexual in nature. Sure. When a partner can set themselves, I don't want to say set themselves aside. That's not the right way to say it, but, but love you enough to mm-hmm. want you to be the best version of yourself, which can oftentimes only come through exploration. Then that should speak to the, to the strength of trust and love and, and, um, and devotion and loyalty. And devotion. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I think people, don't always sort of see that. Right. They don't get that. And it's just so natural for people to place rules on relationships and other people. And you have to unlearn that. I've had to unlearn that. Mm -hmm. But when I did, it just opened my world. And I, I don't put shackles on my husband or my boyfriend or they don't put shackles on me. And Honestly, I can say I'm just living my best life here. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm just it, waiting for Paul McCartney to say that he's polyamorous. <laughs> I mean, if anyone would, I mean, <laughs> he lived through the '60s. I mean, I think he, he would. Did. He'd be keen to it. I'm um, <laughs> what I find also is that sometimes, and I've known folks this way. They and I and I was this way, you know, in my first marriage, where they get into a relationship. It's not serving them, be, be it the 
the partner themselves or the dynamic or, or many other issues. And they just suffer in silence. Yep. You know, they suffer in silence and they, they just say, well, um, I, I have to do the right, the, the, the morally righteous thing. You know, that's sort of that puritanical idea of, of loyalty and devotion. Um, yeah. Our parents are inf- infamous for that. Right. Well, right. Like that generation is infamous for that. And when my mom was, ex- my, so my parents were divorced. And when my mom was explaining to me why they got divorced, she said essentially that uh, for the benefit of us as children, mm. that she wanted to give us the opportunity to see her in a healthy relationship. And that would not have been possible had she stayed with my dad. And they're both lovely people separately, but oh, together, mom. yeah, to, together they were not uh, compatible. And she's like, we could have stayed together for the sake of you. And then you would have seen two people fight all the time. Yeah. And that would not have been what I want for you to uh, to build and form your idea of relationship on. And so, yes, it was hard to go through divorce and that sucks. But, you know, from her perspective, it, it opened the opportunity for us to, to have a better example of a relationship. And also the act of leaving was an example for us. If it's not working out, sometimes someone has to make the hard decision and pull the trigger for both people's sake. Yeah. You know, I'd like to believe that my ex-wife and my and myself are in much better places not together. Yeah. We wish each other the best and we move on with our lives. Yeah. And why suffer in silence and grow resentment and bitterness when you can make a decision that is mutually beneficial for both people to be the best versions of themselves? You know. One of the things that I I did not realize until I was out of that relationship uh, was I didn't really like that version of myself. That was a very muted version of myself. Mm-hmm. That was a uh, that was a pre cloak me. Oh right? yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and uh, it, it, I didn't explore and I wasn't presenting myself in a way that was authentic to me. It was like it was you said muggles or it was the muggle version of me, right? Yep. yep. I dimmed my light just so that everyone else could stand to to see it. And then when I was no longer in that relationship, that I was free to be exactly who I want to be, you know, and, and always. It's great. It's what you uh, hope for. Exactly. And work for more than anything, I think, yeah, for sure. you know, and I think that's why to me, these discussions are so important because we're not taught that, mm-hmm. you know, we, I've talked before about how I think how poorly people talk about sex and, and uh, explain sex, especially to young folks, right? Like my, for as much praise as I want to give my mom about ending the relationship with my dad and teaching us that lesson. Also, she gave me my sex talk, sex talk, which was, if you get a girl pregnant, don't come to me for help. So, you know, there are pros and cons with <laughs> some of her parenting, but um, the deficiencies in the way we talk about sex in this country, I think are more common to be heard. But I don't think we spend that time talking about the deficiencies in how we talk about relationships yeah. and and the variety that are that is per, available to one person and 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 what's important to bring to a relationship so that it can be the best version that it can be. Yeah, I think you know more representation mm-hmm. will help with that. Um, I am optimistic. This, these newer generations really seem to be more open-minded 
about alternative relationship styles. Mm-hmm. So that's giving me a lot of hope. Um, yeah. But yeah, we're we're taught the relationship escalator from birth, right? And in the the films that we watch and the TV, all of it. And uh, I'm out here, you know, with my piddly 10,000 followers, just talking <laughs> about it just to sort of normalize it a little bit more. Right. Um, because I think that this relationship dynamic is valid and I think it works for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think it can be really healthy for a lot of people. Right. So I'm, I'm going to preach, not coach, but preach. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you give your experience and that's so important because anyone can go up there and read books and then espouse information. And that might be useful for some folks, but I've always found that the person who's walked the journey is going to have insights that the person who's just spitting facts may not touch upon. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, And, you know, that's another, like I try and, you know, my therapist now, uh, have a lot of experience with non-monogamy Mm-hmm. I'm trying to like make sure the the books I'm reading are actually written by a mm-hmm. non-monogamous person. Because, um, yeah, I, mean, I think there's a lot of like sex therapists out there now mm-hmm. who are kind of promoting that they are friendly towards polyamory and open relationships. But I've discovered it's, it's very different to have – a therapist that's friendly towards it and have a therapist that actually is that very thing. Right. Um, makes a difference. Right. And, and you talked about representation and, and I'm, I was, I've been thinking like, where have I, have I seen in the movie in a, in right? a healthy manner outside of a, sometimes you maybe see it as a joke, right? Yeah. Like it's like yeah. when you see a vegan on screen, it's like, it's always the, it's always because it's a, it leads to a joke somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only representation that I can recall and I don't know if you saw this, but a few years ago, Showtime had a show called Polyamory. It was like, uh, yeah, I, I remember the community discussing that show, and yeah. it wasn't very positive. It was very reality based, yeah, like reality TV based, you know. Uh-huh. And so it had all the, the the tropes that reality TV has. It was like, you know, there were you mentioned that the unicorn hunter, and and almost in every instance of these of the stories that were being told the, the the people that they were following they were all in some sort of pod or triad yeah there wasn't to my there was, there was only one there was only one situation that i can recall that the dynamic was that there was a nesting partner and then there was a separate partner outside of that dynamic and mm-hmm. and in the one instance that it was there was a triad one of which there was a married couple and they had a girlfriend And they were a triad. And then one of the ladies, the one who was married, had a partner outside of this dynamic. And there was all this like drama and tension, of course, because it's reality TV, right? Yeah. And and um, I think eventually she ends up kind of being forced to break up with the guy that she's seeing because the other people in the group didn't really like the way she was handling it. It just felt I I don't know that it really felt like probably the best representation of it. I'm. You know, the thing I'm, about reality TV is you have to make it interesting or nobody's right. going to want to watch it. 
Right. So of course we're going to get the basket cases representing us because they're going to give the best television. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's an accurate rep- representation. They love to throw around like the thruple or the mm-hmm. unicorn hunters, but mm-hmm. you know there are just as many people who consider themselves like solo polyamorists. Hmm. So they date people separately, but they don't want a nesting partner or they don't want to be married. That's almost never represented. Right. Uh, So I almost never look at reality TV. It's always bad. Yeah. And I actually know people who've been on reality TV shows where the producers are make things happen, make drama happen. Mm -hmm. You know, if the show's boring one week they're gonna like make drama (laughs) so yeah terrible representations in my experience have you seen sense eight i've heard of it but i have not seen it now see to me that was a pretty good representation however they had to add like a supernatural element to it to (laughs) make it make sense which ruffled my feathers a little bit but it was a decent representation um, I think Tony Collette did a show called Wanderlust. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lukewarm about that one. I had some issues with it, but it also wasn't terrible. Right. But this is the thing. We all talk about it in the community. We've, we've just had awful representation. Um, somebody posted the other day that they watched something that was pretty good, and I'm going to go and see what that was and watch it. But right. typically... It hasn't been great. And I hope that that changes. Well, because media representation, fair or unfair, does inform the way we enter any sort of community. And if people are entering this community based on the Showtime show or something else a bit more salacious, then it kind of, I would assume, muddies the water, not only from the fact that just there's got to be additional education that's got to be imparted upon them, but then there might be folks that come into it with less less uh, innocent intentions, yeah. so to speak. And I think one one thing that you mentioned was that there's no representation for like solo a solo polyamorous person. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, so often if someone is not does not want to be does not want to have a a what you call like a nesting partner or marriage or something along those lines they wanted they want to have multiple relationships but they don't but they are very happy with their um solitude Mm -hmm. though especially if they're a guy they'll be called a fuck boy sure but part of that is because i would assume that many times people and this is not strictly men but like people who just want to fuck and not be courteous to someone else's feelings will use and i've heard it use the excuse well it's because i'm polyamorous or i don't believe in marriage or whatever else yeah and so there's a lot of it conflates what's authentic and what's just a bullshit excuse i think Mm -hmm. and at the core of it no one's being really honest what their intentions are so that the other person can make an informed decision as to whether or not they want to engage Yeah. I mean, the truth is an asshole is going to be an asshole, Mm -hmm. whatever he labels himself. And sure, you know, the polyamory label gets thrown around by fuckwad boys (laughs) uh, often enough. But 
we all recognize that that's just really a jerk. Yeah. You know, I, that's what I, that's the label I see first, not the polyamory label. And, you know, if somebody says they're polyamorous and you have any question in that, or maybe you think that they're just using it as an excuse to fuck around, mm-hmm. have the conversation. Right. You know, it's, it's, that's where communication comes in. And if they're not willing to talk about it, bye-bye, you know? Yeah, probably answers your question. Yeah, that is an answer in itself, right. for sure. Now, we did briefly talk about um, time management. Yeah. And I, I, in my experience in, in researching and learning, uh, the, the, the holy grail of scheduling seems to be quite important. Yeah. Google Calendar <laughs> is very, very important here. Um, yeah. You know, like, you're probably going to make this mistake if you enter this world of becoming polysaturated. Mm. And that basically means you've got more going on than your schedule allows for. Right. And it takes a little trial and error to know what that number is Mm -hmm. and, you know, how things will work. So I, myself, you know, I've got the nesting partner and I can usually juggle one other relationship, Mm -hmm. maybe two if one of them is long distance. Right. I know from experience i can't have a nesting partner and two boyfriends or a nesting partner and a boyfriend and a girlfriend it's just Mm -hmm. too much i dilute myself too much i'm pulled in too many directions so but i again i had it took me a couple years to learn how many people i could chuckle right terrible but um yeah i got polysaturated and realized okay, two is about what I can handle. Right. Um, I would be very puzzled if someone told me they had like five relationships they were balancing. You know, um, I'd ask, do you have a job? <laughs> um, I mean, it would be very impressive scheduling and yeah. they'd have to have very, uh, I think it, to, to me to see that dynamic work, the, the other partners would probably also need to value their own solitude For equally sure. yeah. so that, or, or, or value, or maybe they're also have multiple partners and they are o- very okay with one day a week, wow. you know, yeah. which, which might work fine for some, work for some people. I would not remember names if I'm <laughs> people. I'd have to like write it on my hand before my, each date. <laughs> right. But um name tags would work wonders in oh, that scenario. Yeah, that's hot. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you have you come across cuz I could see this being a thing. Have you come across when you meet someone, a potential new partner, and then you get a sense that they are really just trying to get in so that they can form a monogamous monogamous relationship with you away from your nesting partner? Is like does that come up ever? So I had a relationship and he accepted my husband, Mm -hmm. but anyone else he couldn't handle. Mm. So 
never really met anyone who outwardly tried to do that. But I have dated people who had a problem with anyone else besides my husband. Interesting. Which, and yeah, this person identified as monogamous, was friendly with my husband, but if I dated anyone else, that was a big temper tantrum would occur. Yeah. And I realized that that person just wasn't for me. So I had to end that one. But yeah, um, I've had people tell me outwardly, I can't date you because you you have a husband. Right. Um, and again, I've had boyfriends who didn't want me to have anyone else. So I've been on both sides of that dynamic. I dated a, well, I was starting to see a woman who was married and mm-hmm. uh, they were open or they were exploring openness. The, the husband had more experience. This was relatively new for her. And uh, we all got, the three of us got along. It's all good. But I got the sense what they were looking for was a unicorn. Yeah. And I, I, I was really fresh off my separation and not looking to be with one person and certainly not looking to be with someone who's got a nesting partner. Yeah. Maybe down the line, I could have been okay with it, but not at that moment. Sure. And so I was also seeing other people and there was jealousy there on her part. And I, I felt kind of taken aback because she had a husband Yep. <laughs> and she was jealous that I was seeing other people casually. Yeah. Again, not enough communication. Both of us probably too inexperienced, um, but that sounds like it. Yeah, that that fizzled out very quickly and unfortunately. But and she then was, she was okay with her husband having partners. I don't know because I don't think okay. I don't know I don't know because I think at the time he did not. Now I don't know if now that occurred. I, I don't know what the dynamic is. Understood with that but um she definitely was not okay with me having other partners i could tell you that and and then conversely i've been that person too i uh when my ex and i were open i had met a girl long distance a lady long distance and um her relationship was ending my relationship was clearly ending and we formed what i would look at now as sort of a trauma bond in some regard and uh that developed into a quasi-romantic feeling and then a sexual experience and her husband was actually totally cool with it like i went to visit them they were they lived out of state and i went to visit them and stayed at their house and had breakfast with them and it was it was it was great and then when i left she was she was me a few months uh later right she was wanting to see other people as well Mm -hmm. and um and my insecurity welled up and I, uh, you know, the, the, her type of guy was not me, right? She liked the, uh, the Chris Evans types and I am not the Chris, I'm like, I'm like the Mexican Frodo type, right? I am not that body type or, or height or anything like that. And so my insecurities walled up, right? Mm-hmm. And, and because of the way that we had proceeded with this open relationship, I couldn't even talk to my partner about it, right? So I was just like stifling these feelings of, Oh, she's going to find someone else. And my ex, my wife doesn't want to be with me and I'm going to be alone again. Right. And so, um, I could see where that would be challenging to 
to find that person who's truly accepting of whatever dynamic that you're bringing to the table yeah. uh, and, and what the, your desires are. I mean, not, it might sound fun. They'll see an attractive person and they'll be like, uh, of course I would love to be with this person. Yeah. Maybe not fully taking into account everything that comes with it and, and the level of openness one must be in order to accept all of them, not just what they see visually. Yeah. I think my cloak ex actually going into it didn't really understand what dating me Mm -hmm. looked like. And, um, and I don't, I guess I, I wasn't great at explaining it back Mm -hmm. then either. But again, you learned, you learned something from every single relationship. Right. And I learned, all right, not only do I need to like sort of look for a different type of person, but I need to be really open and upfront about what I bring to the table right? and how, you know, realistically how far we can go. But, yeah. you know, it takes, it takes trial and error. And um, knowing oneself. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's hard to tell people what you need or what you are bringing or where you're at if you haven't quite figured that out yet yourself. Yeah. And yep. I think, and that's where the that's where the tools you talked about earlier, the therapy, the shadow work. That's where I think that seems very important because you, if if we're going to say that communication is the key, then you have to know what you're communicating and why you're communicating it and and what your path is. Otherwise, you might have the best intentions but you're, you would not be able to speak impeccably because you don't even know what you're trying to say. Yeah, exactly. So people are listening and they're saying, you know what? This speaks to me. This is something that I've maybe not heard or I've never heard discussed in this way. And I really want to know more. I really want to uh, follow Amy. I really want to read these books. I really want to start exploring this. For those people, what do you recommend is the best avenue to even begin? So the things that have helped me have been following other polyamorous people, mm-hmm. um, following polyamorous experts mm-hmm. who are also polyamorous. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, honestly, a comprehensive list um, after five years of doing this thing of um, people in the community Mm -hmm. who have a lot of good stuff to say. And I said earlier, you know, some of these books are really a fun read. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought, well, Sex at Dawn was fascinating. Have you read that one? I have. And in fact, I've also also listened to the audio book, which is hilarious. Oh. Like whoever's doing the voices for that, whoever read it, yeah. They, you know how there's some of the humor, especially the big before each chapter, there's like a little tends yeah. to be kind of humorous uh, antidote. Yes. Uh, in the audio version, it's a very fun listen. Oh, I love it's, it. It's very cheeky. I will have to reread it via audiobook. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, but yeah, like The Ethical Slut is a fantastic book. They're on their third edition now. Mm-hmm. Um, just. Do the work, like 
do the emotional work, learn how to communicate. If you don't know how to communicate, (laughs) I'm a big proponent for therapy. If you can afford it. I know not everyone has the privilege of being able to afford therapy, but reading and inner work and shadow work and meditating and just being able to communicate effectively are all going to be great tools for you. Um, But yeah, I would say at the very least follow some social media accounts Mm -hmm. of polyamorous folks and their experiences and their, their knowledge. Um, There's hundreds out there. And for those folks who maybe are listening to this and they're saying, this sounds great, but I don't think my partner would be open to it. Yeah. I get that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a tricky one because you can't convince someone to want to just be polyamorous. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can say if that is not, in their thought, if you know, if they've never even thought of it, you're not going to convince anyone. If it is your true calling, though, mm-hmm. my suggestion is you have to communicate it with your partner, but you have to know that they might not continue the path with you. Right. Basically, I tell people how important is this relationship to you? Because Mm -hmm. you could lose it. But if polyamory is really calling to you, do you really want to stay with someone for the rest of your life who won't allow you to be your true nature and your true self? Right. But unfortunately there is no magic paragraph or, or something to say to convince your partner to try polyamory. There just isn't. It might not be their will. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to, if you feel safe, if you're okay to lose the relationship, communicate your needs, gauge their response and go from there. All right. I think that's excellent advice. And, and in the end, uh, you know, it, it doesn't only apply just to polyamory. It applies to anything. Uh, the, the desire to have children or not have children, the desire where to live. I mean, we have to, if we, if, you know, this, for those listening to this podcast will know that I'm a big proponent in following your true will and figuring out what that is and applying it to your life. You're probably, whether you figure it out or not, you're probably going in that direction anyway, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, blinded, but, but take control of it. You know, don't just allow yourself to be drawn by the current of your will haphazardly, recognize it, swim with it. And, and if this is a calling to you, if this is something that you feel is important to you, if this speaks to you, have the communication with your partner. Yeah. If it doesn't go well, it, it may not go well, but is it worth being unhappy for the rest of your life? Potentially. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And don't cheat. Don't be a cheater. That's not polyamory. Sorry, it's not. Um, You have to be honest and and ethical. Yeah. 
Well, Amy, thank you very much. Um, if you let everyone know your Instagram again, in case you're, yours is the first polyamory account they'd like to follow. <laughs> it's Miss Polly Vu. That's M-S Polly with two Y's. P-O-L-Y. I know. I messed it up. I know. <laughs> Vu. V-O-U-S. Miss Polly Vu. And uh, if you write me and ask for more advice, I can give you account names and my list of five books I give to everybody. And actually a couple other relationship communication based uh, accounts that have been very helpful for me too. I'll give it all to you. Well, thank you very, very much. I appreciate your time and your insights. And I think you doing this work and sharing your experiences will undoubtedly help so many people uh, who otherwise might be afraid to broach the topic or pick up the book, you know, have it laid around their house. Um, And I think that that's important. I think it's important to normalize different relationship dynamics, discuss them honestly, the pros, the cons, and allow people to have the information necessary to make the best decisions for themselves and their partners. Absolutely. So have a wonderful day. And, And again, thank you for everything. Thanks for having me. Many thanks once again to Amy for coming on the show and sharing her experience as an active practitioner of polyamory and ethical non-monogamy. As I said at the top of the show, there are very stringent boundaries that are oftentimes associated with how we show our love for one another, the dynamics that relationships are meant to be held in. And while those dynamics can obviously work and do work for many people, I think it's worth taking a look at other dynamics and exploring oneself and finding which of those dynamics works best for you and your partner or partners. We are creatures of infinite love and whether we choose to express that infinite love with one partner or ourselves solely or with many people or with people coming in and out of our lives in finite periods, I think that it is worth being open to understanding and accepting everyone's perception of how love should be shared. Because I think in the end, the most important thing is not the dynamic by which it is expressed, but the love itself. Love for ourselves, love for one another, and love that exists beyond romanticism. Love that is based in honor and truth and compassion and empathy. These are things that can't be held in a box no matter which way we choose to express them because at the end of the day, there is no one right way. It is our choice. We can only make the best choices when we take the time to explore who we really are. So once again, thank you to Amy for coming on the show and and so brilliantly highlighting and expressing and sharing her perspectives on the matter. I recommend you take a gander at her social media and follow her post. I think they're very enlightening. I think it's also worth checking out some of the books that she recommended, The Ethical Slut and uh, Sex at Dawn being the two sort of uh, uh, pillars of the polyamorous community. And at the end of the day, I want to impart upon everyone that showing respect for one another and showing our love for one another These are things, these are acts of rebellion in a society that is, with every passing day, becoming more atomized and more individualistic and more centered around self-interest. And so we're talking beyond just romantic 
relationships, and we're talking beyond romantic love or sexual love for that matter, but finding healthy love, love that encompasses all, love that is expressed in a myriad of ways. There's no downside to being loving towards people around you. There's no downside to having an open heart and understanding and acceptance. And these things all come from that sensual emotion of love. And so as you celebrate Valentine's Day in whatever manner that you do, again, be it by yourself, with a singular partner, or with many partners, put love at the forefront of every transaction. Let love guide you so that you live a life impeccably, with honor, with dignity, with truth, with honesty, with devotion, with compassion and empathy for the partner or partners that you are interacting with. These are all ingredients, in my opinion, for any healthy relationship dynamic, no matter the number of people involved. So thank you all for listening. Enjoy your Valentine's Day. And until next time, gold rings on you all.